0: And gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. This is a show we've been trying to make for months, and we finally got it done. Before we jump into the guests we have tonight, I want to say we are proudly brought to you by our friends over at Boxing Rock Brewing Co. Check out their puck off Loggerdale. It's the big beer for the big podcast. And before we jump in, just want to say our thoughts, prayers are with everyone here in Nova Scotia. They have a wildfire going right now. It is completely crazy what is happening. Um, So our thoughts are with everyone here, obviously out West as well. Um, Keep tabs on your loved ones. Make sure you check in, keep yourself safe, listen to what they tell you to do and just keep it uh, 100% with your communications. But tonight to do a hard turn off of something bad, something good. We have Matt Marchese with us. You hear him on the radio with Jeff Merrick, this man right here, he's done it all in radio. So now we get to have him on our show and talk some hockey and about his career and of course, we have my co-host D4 Dylan Fournier and Pete the Heat here as well. But Matt, the mic is yours. How's the night going, man?
1: Uh, it was busy day, but the night is good. My daughter finally went to sleep, so now it's all quiet in the Marchese household. So we're all we're all good. As soon as she goes down to sleep, we can actually function as adults, yeah. um, <laughs> which is nice. But other than that, everything's great. And uh, and thanks for having me on. No worries, man. I'm I'm very
0: pumped for this one, and I know Dylan and Pete are as well. Obviously, your wealth of knowledge. You obviously have some insight on the things that we want to talk about, mainly this logo on top of my head that a lot of people right now are spamming in the chat saying I have garbage on the top of my head, but that's okay. <laughs> you go ahead and you fire off whatever you need to say to make yourself sleep better at night. Um, but I want to ask you, you get to talk with Merrick and Friedman, and obviously you've worked with Bob McCowan on the radio.
1: For you, who is the easiest to work with? Oh, he put me on the spot here. Um, I'll say Give somebody some flowers. Yeah, I'll say the easiest, and I, I well, I don't, I don't work with Elliot like hand in hand, so I, I can put Elliot off to the side, even though he is pretty easy to deal with. Um, I'll say Jeff only because when I worked with Bob, I was very fresh in the industry. Like that was my first job in radio was working for Bob, and you learn a lot of things along the way you learn how to become a producer you learn how to become a broadcaster all of that bob's show is just more difficult to book because it was so guest heavy and we were talking like i was just talking with uh, one of the guys that i used to produce with the other day like we were booking some days seven guests a show seven maybe eight sometimes and it's like it's a lot and you do that over the course of a week you're talking you know because we would do a round table on fridays you're talking like you know 20 24 to 28 guests a week like it it becomes a lot and it so that was that was more difficult because that's what the format called for whereas jeff jeff is willing to do you know solo stuff he'll bring me on i mean it's easy to book yourself so um so i'll say that i think it's just it's an experience thing too i've just done it for so long now like i think going back to when I was an intern at the fan, I've been there 12 years. So I think it was, it was actually uh, beginning of May, 2011. So I was just out of school and wow. started as an intern. So I've been there a long time, but Jeff is just easier to work with because he's kind of, they both said, here's you take the reins of the show. You know, you know what we like, go ahead. Uh, but it's just gotten easier, especially when you're single sport focused and yeah. you just have to do hockey, it becomes a lot easier. So I'll, I'll lean Jeff for recency bias. How about that? There you go. Do okay. You have, no problem, do you no have any fun stories that
2: maybe the average viewer or listener wouldn't know about them? Or just maybe like a, I don't know, like a tidbit about them that, again, your average listener doesn't know about them? S-
1: I can I can give you one that's off the top of my head. And p- some people have heard this story before, but when I was working for with Bob, we would get Faye Vincent, who used to be the Major League Baseball Commissioner like years ago. And we used to get him on our show every once in a while. When something came up, when it called for it to have him on, so I called him, and it was the first time that I had ever dealt with him. And I said, Mr. Vincent, you know, we'd love to have you on the show 440 this time or five, whatever it was. I think it was 440. And, you know, for 15 minutes, okay, great. Call me on this number. So we called him at 442. And he picked up after like three rings. I said, Mr. Vincent, are we okay to grab you here? He goes, no. And I went, pardon? (laughs) I "I thought you said you were good for this time. He said, I was good for 440. Click.
2: Oh, my goodness. So
1: I said, I told Bob that. And Bob goes, well, he goes in the black book and we never have him on again. So it ended up becoming a a pretty funny story. I'm trying to think of – like, we've had – I'll tell you, my biggest – and it hasn't happened to me, thankfully, but it has happened to other guys that I know where – they had a number for somebody and they thought that it was that person and ended up just being a regular guy and they put them on the air and it turned Mm -hmm. into a complete night and it took the host like a a couple of questions just to and then you're like, okay, now we're, now we've got to go. Yeah. So there's, there's a few like that. It happens less now because numbers are a little bit easier to access like that. That happened probably, I don't know, eight years ago maybe nine years ago so you get that every once in a while like there's i mean there's some parts of the job that you don't like like when you have to call somebody and essentially tell them like to get them on to talk about something that had just died like i like i this it sounds morbid but i told curtis joseph that pat quinn died so those days are like wow you know those suck Whenever you have to talk about somebody that had passed away, it always sucks. But like when you have to when you tell somebody and you're the first person to tell somebody that somebody else that they know has passed away, that is like that's Uh the worst because it's just like they don't know. And yeah, it's it's not fun. So those are those are some things that go on behind the scenes. I mean, there's there's plenty. So but yeah, those are the two that kind of stand out.
2: Um I was just kind of curious for, for myself and listeners um for somebody or for anybody that wants to get into the field mm-hmm. like you uh what were the steps that took you there and or what school did you go to
1: So I always tell people this if you want to get into the industry don't and become a lawyer cuz you get paid <laughs> more Um so I I went to Humber College I took radio broadcasting and it, see, it's changed so much The the business now is so much different because when I was able to intern, I interned for eight months and you can't do that anymore. I, there was something that happened and it was with another company, I believe, that somebody tried to sue for unpaid labor or something like that. And to me, I was kind of just like that pisses me off because we all had to do it for free and it was fine. Like I had to take on, you know, a job while I was doing it. And it's just part of the world that we got into and yeah. so the best advice that I can give is firstly go to school for it because you learn a lot while you're there uh, go humble networking. networking is good because like there's the college of sports media where the majority of the people that are involved there they are still in the business or know a lot of people in the business so that that part is is key like you have to do some networking and I always say you know try to podcast, edit audio, edit video, like do everything that you possibly can so that when you get to these places as an intern, you have a skill set that stands out amongst others, right? And there there are a lot of people that just go into an internship and think they know everything. That is the that's actually the best Bit of advice that I can give you is if you are trying to get into the business, don't act like you know everything because I can promise you that you don't. It is a very finicky business. It's very tough. It's it's extremely competitive. What was the, uh, what, and so, the, yeah? No, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What, what was like one of the hardest things you had to learn? Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> mm, spoken spoken to because uh, I mean you grow. You, You come up in through college and whatever, and you're, and you talk and, and it's not something that, that somebody told me that I needed to do, but it's something that I needed to learn. Like there is a time and a place for your opinion on things, especially as an intern, like there were, there have been, I I can't tell you how many, and I was one of them. And it took me a while to realize that, like if two people are having a conversation that you're not in, there's probably a reason why you're not in it. And I did it countless times. And then I finally realized, like, hold on a second, I should probably be quiet. Like, these are people that I, I don't know very well. And to just you always want to insert your opinion because you want to be known. You want people to know who you are. And and that's why it's so tough. But you will get noticed if you're good at what you do. People do notice those things. That that I can say for sure. People thought that I was good enough to get a job. So if, if I was good enough to get a job, other people can get a job too. <laughs>
0: All right. All right. So obviously working in radio, like you said, interning, following the steps, doing everything like that for you, when you say networking, obviously, do you mean networking just through radio channels, podcasting channels, obviously, because there's lots of people that are now doing this, picking up a podcast Mm -hmm. and just basically talking about their favorite thing. And, you know, hopefully reaching out to someone like yourself and say, hey, can you come on and talk with us and spread some knowledge and have some fun
1: you know, and just do that kind of stuff. What would you recommend to some people? So the bit, the biggest, it th- just try and get to know as many people in the business as you can. Like the one thing that, that I was told, and I can't remember who told, who said this to me, but basically it was whenever, if you're, if you're interning at a place and they ask you to do something, and even if it's not in your wheelhouse, not in your comfort zone, do it because you never know where that's going to lead you. Like this. So when there was an opportunity to go down to the Toronto Indy and I am the furthest thing from a, an Indy racing fan, I'm the furthest thing. I'm not a car guy. I'm not into any of that stuff. I like my stuff very slow and not moving very fast because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a risk taker. So cars and that to me, it's not, it doesn't appeal to me, but there was an opportunity to go down there and, and grab audio and do whatever the case may be. And I, and I kind of hummed and hawed about it. Somebody said, just do it. Like, just do it. It didn't end up coming to fruition for whatever reason, but they realized that I was willing to do whatever. I ended up, you know, as an intern producing a Saturday hockey show. Uh, And then that morphed into, I became an intern on primetime sports, which turned into a job. Like, don't say no to things. And the the biggest thing, like, if you want to be on air, the one thing that I can always say is get as many reps in as possible because frankly, like, listen, I'm talking to you guys and I'm not, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass or anything like you guys can talk on a microphone. You guys yeah. know what you're doing. You're prepared, all that stuff. There are some people, and I hate to say it, they're not prepared and they don't necessarily know what they're doing. And, but you have to do more in order to get that and try and talk to people in the business so that you can get feedback on hey how does this sound does it sound good what would you change like those kinds of things where you can ask those questions because there are so many people out in the ether that they just keep doing what they're doing and if they're doing it for fun that's fine like that's not my business but if you're doing it to try and become something well then you need to talk to people that that know what they're listening for because there are things that i tell that i'll say to you know, like let's say for my wife, for example, I can hear things when I'm, when there's a radio show on and my wife will go like, what are you talking about? And I'll say, that sounds really tinny or, you know, listen to, you know, how many times I say, um, or the word like, and those are things that I pick up on because that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm listening for. That's what makes you a better broadcaster is just getting those reps and and getting those, I'll be the first to tell you, I am not a perfect broadcaster. I am very far from it. I've only been doing on air stuff for, I guess it's four years around there where I've been on the radio and learning, but I also had the best internship going because I learned under Bob McCowan for six years and I watched the best interviewer in Canada do his work. So you can pick up on those things. And that's what I'll say is get as many reps as possible. Listen to people that you think are really good and try and pick up on how to be a good broadcaster. Like those are the, the, that's the best bit of advice that I can give you because if you're good, people will find you. That's, that's the one thing that has been pretty (laughs) true. Like it's changed now because stuff is a lot more accessible. Like you can, you, you know, something goes on YouTube, just copy paste and send it to somebody. Like I have proof that I'm a good broadcaster. Whereas, you know, like the Peter Mansbridge story, and I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but the Peter Mansbridge story was they found him. He was doing the um he was talking over the microphone as a, a flight attendant. Oh. That's how that's how CBC radio found him. Jeez. But that doesn't that doesn't happen. Like that that story is so few and far between in the history of broadcasting. And Peter Mansbridge is an absolute beauty, but those things. That's why you have to get your reps in. It doesn't. People don't just hear a voice and sometimes go, "Oh, oh my God, that guy should be on the radio." Like, even people that say that to me, they they say it because they know that I'm on the radio. Oh yeah, you you sound like you you can talk on the radio. Well, it's because you know that if I was just walking down the street and talking, people wouldn't go, by the way, you should be in radio or you should be on TV. They would never say (laughs) I should be on TV too ugly for that, but you should be on the radio. So all of that stuff matters. Like you just get your reps. That's the best bit of advice that I can
2: give. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I started my own podcast and, and then eventually like I was doing the hosting thing and that itself is, is a hard thing. You got to plan everything out, but then, James had the opportunity and messaged in a little group saying I need a co-host. And I was like, sure. Like, yeah. Jump all over that. Like, and, and, and this is where it's led to. And it's been a great blessing obviously.
1: Yeah. Reps are important. That's, that's the best bit of advice that I can give. Well, i got going to ask this question too. For you, what
0: lit the flame? What made you want to do producing? What made you want to be in this business? Like you just made the joke, you know, go be a lawyer make more money. <laughs> obviously there's a passion for it. But what got you into this? Was it someone you heard? Was it a story? There's got to be some sort of backstory
1: for you of why you got in. It's funny because there are so many different angles. One, I never wanted to do physical labor. So this was a great thing. Me me and physical labor do not get along very well at all. Uh, Me and early mornings, generally speaking, do not get along very well. But... So my, so my dad, when he was growing up, always wanted to be a radio guy. And I don't know if it's because I had heard that so many times that it just, that's what got instilled in me. Like I was, I was that kid who, you know, playing super Nintendo NHLPA hockey 93 was doing play by play for it while, you know, like while playing the games myself, um, I hated sports radio growing up. My dad would have Bob McCallum on all the time, and I hated it. <laughs> I hated it, and then I, I ended up, and be then be so well. I ended up working for the guy yeah. because I, I guess it, it's probably the sports thing. Like sports yep. and talking about sports is something that I've been doing like my whole life. I just I love it, so I think that's where this all came in. The whole thing about producing was just like, the point to get to being on the air. It was like, this is your foot in the door because when you're in you school, serious? they don't teach you how to produce a radio show. Their production part of your program is editing and that and all that kind of stuff. It's not like, Hey, this is how you send an email to book a guest like that. You are literally trial by fire. And Jeez. I ended up working with a producer named Ryan Walsh. Who's who works for Sportsnet now. And I, I, learned how to do everything from him like this is how you put together a radio show like you you very much are thrown right into the fire as a producer and then it eventually led to on air like i finally went to my bosses and i said hey like i think i've i think i've kind of done my time here and this was years ago i guess it would have been 4 years ago where i said you know like i've been here a long time i really want to be on air and i said guys let me go on the air i just i literally learned under the best sports broadcaster that we've had in this country probably ever. And yep. I said, I've learned under him for six years. If I'm not any good, don't put me back on. It's that simple. Yeah. Because give me I, a shot. Yeah. Because I remember, and this is, I know this is going to sound like the most arrogant thing ever, but I swear to you guys, I'm not making this up. This is what somebody told me. And I'm not going to say who it is because I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but it is someone who worked at the fan and they're still in the business. And I went in to do, I had to, to, I, I did something. It was a project for college where you had to do like a one-on-one with somebody who was in the business, how they got into the business, what they love doing, all that kind of stuff. Kind of like what we're doing here. Yeah. So I went down to the fan and the guy said, I want you to read this sports update for me. I was still in college, not a word of a lie. He record, he went out of the room recorded it came back in he listened back to it with me sitting right there and he said you could be on air here doing this tomorrow and i went okay like that that's cool yeah. right and i know that again that sounded like the most arrogant thing ever and i'm really not that guy Guys, no but like, it's a good feeling oh, you're though, right? you're, sure, you're thinking
0: you, about where you want to go that's a good it's, feeling yeah. That.
1: yeah it's validation right yeah. and so um so that was like you get into it and then it's always in the back of your mind. Like, I know I can do this. I just got to keep pushing, just got to keep pushing. And eventually it led to that. And now I'm hosting the Jeff Merrick show. And when he's away and, and it's yeah. on TV and like, these are things that the TV thing I never thought was going to happen. That is something that that's just kind of because the show is on TV, but the radio thing, like I always thought I could do it. It was always just about getting an opportunity. And there are some people like, when I say the radio business is very fickle and I talk about um, like how many people are they come in and out. I think we had so at, at Humber, somebody told me this and I don't know if the, the actual number of applicants for the program is valid, but there were a thousand applicants. Five hundred got interviews and seventy five got accepted. Wow that could be wrong but i know 75 were definitely accepted and of the 75 i think we had half going into or maybe 40 going into the the next year and i think like 35 of us graduated and of that graduating class which was pretty good from what i remember i want to say there's maybe five people still in the business wow like maybe i know um I'll, I'll throw some names out there just because they should, they deserve shout outs, but like a, a buddy of mine, Brandon Graziano works uh, in Kitchener, I believe on one of the news stations out there. Uh, Jesse mods works at uh, the, I think it's CJAY in Calgary. And he's the morning guy there. Like he's huge. He's yeah. like, I, I said when he, we were in college, I was like, that guy's going to be like what Dean Blundell had with the edge morning show. Like that's how good this guy is, but there's very few of us left. So you know, you, you just, sometimes it's a battle of attrition. Like it's like the Stanley cup playoffs. It really is. Like you just got to keep pushing and pushing until, you know, at some point you're going to have to make a decision about yourself and your future. Uh, Thankfully I'm not there yet. Um, But it does happen for people. And like I said, happened for a lot of people just that I graduated with.
2: Yeah. Is there something that you did to make yourself stand out to like help progress your career as much as you did?
1: It's, I mean, I guess as an intern, I, I, I I really took pride in the work that I did. There were like, I know that something that I did that really helped was it would have been the 2011 Stanley cup finals. That would have been the one, the Bruins won, And I stayed like, we would stay until like 11 o'clock as interns. That was kind like, and then you go home, just make sure you can catch the subway, whatever, or however you got downtown. I ended up staying past until like 1 o'clock or something to help cut up audio and just make sure that we had all that. Because when we had our sports casts on the station, they, they needed that. And then there was one, it was like the sports scoreboard, which was like a rundown of all the things that happened that night. So they needed as much audio as possible. And I think people recognize that at that point, I, I took a lot of pride. I really wanted to be there. I really wanted a job. And so I think that was a part of it. And again, I didn't say no to very many things. Like, if there were internships to pick up, I would pick up as many as possible. You know, I would, you know, I was working a a job that was a a 40-hour-a-week job. And on the days that I wasn't working, I was interning, right? I would go downtown and, and that's so... I guess it's, you know, you sacrifice and, and you got to get lucky too. Like, uh, let's be real. You, you got to be in the right place at the right time. There were changes yep. happening on primetime sports. Their intern that was on the show was leaving to go somewhere else or whatever the case may be. I don't know if you got a job somewhere. And I ended up, you know, saying I would love to do this. This is something. And then I ended up getting that internship and then it blossomed from there. Like, you got to be in the right place at the right time too, because... There was a point where I was actually slated to be the overnight producer, okay. and that's how I was going to learn my craft. The guy who was supposed to hire me ended up leaving. I don't know if he was fired or he left on his own accord, whatever. Whatever it was, he ended up leaving, and then I was kind of back at square one. The internship with Primetime Sports opens up, and now I'm here. So you have to you have to work hard, but you have to you have to have a little bit of luck. I'm not like I'm not gonna come out here and just say yeah yeah no I was great and, and that's yeah. the reason why I have it no you have to be lucky too
2: um I was just wondering if we could tap into now I don't know if it's just strictly hockey for you but I was wondering if we could tap into your love of hockey and where it came from oh I've been playing hockey
1: since I was three so okay. that that's a pretty good start my dad my dad can't skate my <laughs> grandfather couldn't skate and my So background is my grandfather when he came to Canada would have been uh, in the early 50s. I want to say it was like 52 or 53, something like that. But as soon as he got here, like he fell in love with hockey and then he passed it on to my dad who then passed it on to me. And he's always been a Leaf fan because that's what he knew. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's he was a sucker just like the rest of us. Yeah. And. So that's where like my dad's love of hockey came from, and then he just passed it on to me. Like we were a hockey family, even yeah. though my mom still to this day doesn't understand all the rules and like, <laughs> no, I, which, I, which which I don't get. I'm just like, how many She's hockey, hockey teams mom, are She is a hockey mom. Like my brother played hockey, I played hot. I played hockey for too long. I still play hockey, uh, but it that's where it came from. And then I, I played a bit of junior hockey, and I've just. It's something that has always kind of come natural. Like it's it's really easy for me to love the game just because I've been around it so long. I think that's kind of where it comes from. But I think playing it as well, and I you know I played at a high level basically my whole life. So you're so ingrained in the culture, good or bad, and and that's where you know. Like, as I got older, I started to appreciate a lot more about the game, like the systems 100%. that go into it. And instead of when you're playing, it's just like, coach says, okay, we're going to play a two-one-two-four check. We're going to play a one two, 2 And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Fine. But you don't, you don't really, you watch the game differently when you get yeah. a little bit older. Like, I watch it differently because I coach. I don't coach at a high level, but I coach. And I try and bring those things that I learn there. And so, I think it's an evolving love. Right, mm-hmm. because I watch all teams now. Like I don't just watch the Leafs; it's part of the job. You got to watch everything. Yeah, so it's it's really cool to pick up on how teams do things differently. I guess so. It's it's an evolving love. It really is.
2: Hundred percent.
0: Well, let's ask this one here. Obviously, um, let's bring it full circle with hockey. Now, you've got to talk to some pretty big names within the sport. Has there been one? And I mean, we all have this moment um, where you were like, "Whoa, I just spoke with X." And my mind is absolutely blowing. You didn't mess up or anything, but you just, your mind is like totally out of body experience. I'm talking to this person right now where you just said you've been with hockey forever. There's gotta be that moment for you.
2: Okay. So
1: I'll give you, I'll give you three small examples. I'll, I'll leave the best for last. Okay. One was on air, two were off air. And so the one that was on the air, and this may be surprising, but. It's somebody that I absolutely adore how they call a game, and it's Sam Rosen who does the Rangers games. I think Sam Rosen's Rangers OT winning goal calls are the greatest thing going. Like, I love it. And just having a conversation with him, being able to text with him, you know, to ask him to come on the show, like all that stuff, that to me was just so – you would think it would have been like a player. You think it would have been, you know, somebody else, but it it, it was – it was Sam Rosen because I just I appreciate the way that he calls the game. The other one that I had was when um, I got to meet Bob Cole. So Bob Cole again another broadcaster. Bob yeah. Cole had his book out and he came in studio to do a, an interview with Bob McCawen. I still have the picture with him. And Bob Cole is what I grew up, like you guys. I grew up with Bob Cole's call on Saturday night hockey night in Canada, yeah. and and you can do you can go back in the annals of hockey and look at some of the greatest calls. And a lot of them have Bob Cole's name written all over them. And so that to me was a really cool one, but the cool, maybe the coolest slash funniest story that I could ever tell you involves Wayne Gretzky. And so, so we live, so we live a privileged life in this business because we get to talk to some really cool people. The only other experience that I had with Wayne Gretzky prior to this was producing hockey central and we had a guest and it was supposed to be Mike Camilleri that was coming on. And this number rings in and I, I answer it and I go, hi, is Matt from the fan. He goes, hi, Matt, it's Wayne Gretzky. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. What? So I buzzed into the guys. I'm like, Wayne Gretzky just called in. And I guess Kiprios had texted him telling him to call in. So he did. So I got back on the line with Mike Kemler. I'm like, Mike, can I call you back in half an hour? Wayne Gretzky just called. And he just started laughing. He goes, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so the first in-person experience I had with Wayne Gretzky. So at, at Sportsnet, so when they combined radio and TV together, sort of in the same building, we had a room. It was called the ballroom. And it was a the old Sportsnet logo that was designed in baseballs. So people would stop by because they liked the design or whatever. They thought it was cool. So I'm sitting in that room with, with another producer. Used to produce the Jeff Blair show. And we're sitting there. And there's a bunch of guys in suits that walk right by us. I don't think anything of it because there's guys in suits there all the time. Somebody's going for a meeting. This guy walks back out just ever so quietly and kind of pops his head in and goes, Oh, so is this where all the magic happens? And in my head, I'm just like, another one of these guys that I do not care to explain how this <laughs> business works. I've got stuff to do. I really don't want to deal with this. And I'm about to be like, Oh yeah, whatever. And I look up and I look down and I have to do a double take because it's Wayne Gretzky. Oh, not that I was going to tell yeah. Wayne Gretzky off, but I was just like, I don't have time <laughs> for this. Like I was going to give him the, sh- the short end of the stick and off you go, blah, blah, blah. And we ended up having like a 10 minute conversation about, his love for the Detroit Tigers because he grew up and loved baseball and, and the Jays weren't around when he was a kid. And that's what it morphed into. Like it was the most bizarre interaction that I have had with somebody because you think Wayne Gretzky, you're going to talk about hockey. No, didn't talk about that at all. It was about his love for the Detroit Tigers at that time. So it was, that was just one of those where you're kind of like, hold on a second. And then I looked at my buddy afterwards. I said, did that really just happen? Like, did we spend ten minutes talking to Wayne Gretzky about baseball, really? And he's like, "I don't know what to tell you, man." Like that—that that really just happened. So that was those were those were some of my uh, most memorable experiences in the business. Amazing. That's absolutely awesome. awesome. I gotta
0: ask you this. Okay, so we're a Maple Leaf centric show. Yep. So for you, dealing with a lot of calls and a lot of different things around, do you get a lot of ribbing? Or are you like Jeff now where you said you do watch everything? Are you rooted more for the story or do you still have a vested interest in the Toronto Maple Leafs?
1: I still have a vested interest in the Toronto Maple Leafs because (laughs) I need to see them win before I die. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. You know, like I, I I said it to my wife, like after the Leafs. So my daughter was born in August and they beat Tampa. And I said, of course, of course. I had to wait 20 years for a first round playoff win. She had to wait like 7 months. months. Yeah. Like yeah. come on, really? <laughs> 8 months. You so got to got deal with it. it. I I I've got I'm not going to lie. I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm a little apathetic with this team because I can Here's here's what I will say. I have become and this is very rare in this world. I have become what I believe is a really regulated leaf fan. Like, I, I think that I have, I'm a realist when it comes to this team and this organization, because I have gotten to the point now where my expectations are almost zero. And I think that's the best way to live right now because there is zero point in, in trying to put yourself out there. And like, it's like being in a relationship with somebody that just doesn't love you. And (laughs) unfortunately they do not love their fan base enough to win a, a Stanley cup. And I know oh, that winning the Stanley Cup is hard, but I mean other teams, I mean Vegas, Vegas could potentially go to their second final in what six years? Yeah. They just can't sniff a final since 1967. I mean, that's that's hard, but I still do have I'm also a Buffalo Bills fan, guys. So I'm really not oh, yeah. like I have I have issues, I have a lot oh, of yeah. issues, and I my sports you. teams are the main reason for it, but I what I do like, I like watching good hockey, and that's that's yeah. the crux of it. But I still do, and I've said it openly on Jeff's show. Like I am a Leaf fan, but right. I'm also the same Leaf fan that when Jeff asked me who I would rather take, Matthew Kachuk or Austin Matthews, I said Matthew, Matthew. Kachuk. Yeah, yeah. And know and you know what? Nobody told me I was wrong. Nope. I got I got text praising me for, you know, saying that that was the truth. Austin Matthews in the regular season, but Matthew Kachuk in the playoffs. So. I think the fact that I've, I think being in this business really makes you realize things too. Like you kind of put things into perspective because there are so many stories outside of the Leafs. The Leafs do dominate a lot of the headlines because they're the Leafs, but there are other stories. And I think that's put my fandom in a place that I'm comfortable with because when I speak to a national audience, I can at least be respected in that I, they know that I watch other teams, but when I do local, just local radio on my show on Saturday mornings, I can rip the team and people go, okay, well, he's, he's coming from a place that he's, he, know, he's he he's real with his opinion. Yeah. Like I'm not, I have nobody to impress. If you don't like what I have to say, I don't really care, but I'm going to tell yeah. you the truth. And the truth is, yeah. is that they've sucked for a long time. Even if they make <laughs> yeah. the playoffs, they still sucked. So yeah. that's where I'm at right now. Well, let me ask
0: you this. There's two schools of thinking for this offseason right here. There's the, oh, my God, the world is ending. The least that we know it are about to go down the toilet. And then there's the, hey, we're going to get a new GM. We have cap space. We can make some moves. We can do some things. What one do you fall into, Matt? Is it the doomsday or is it the, hey, let's just see where the cards fall. Lots of things can happen between now and puck
1: drop in October. I've been, this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but I think it can be a little bit of both. I think there is the doomsday scenario here. I said it and some guy found me on Instagram to message me. Like that's how pissed off he was where I said, (laughs) where I said, if you, if you have to trade Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews goes, well, if you're trading Mitch Marner, I don't want to be here long-term. Guess what you've just done. You've traded Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. And here's the other thing. And I hate to be this guy because I think Mitch Marner is a great player. He's a Selkie Trophy finalist. But if Mitch Marner is your best player, you're not going to win, right? Like you're, you're just you're not you're not going to win. So so there is that whole aspect to this off season. I do believe that if they have to trade Austin Matthews, that this is going to be a vastly different hockey team. Like that to me is kind of the doomsday scenario. If you have to trade. Austin Matthews, that's the doomsday scenario. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's bad, but I'm saying yeah. that there is a complete reconfiguration of what this team looks like. What do you We're think talk- the odds? The uh, of oh, so, trading
2: Matthews. It's, love they're not.
1: It's, it's so hard only because it also depends who the GM is. Like if it's Brad, if it's Brad Trelliving, do you think Brad Trelliving wants to relive Johnny Gaudreau 2.0, but with a better player? No, no, he doesn't. So if they're gonna have conversations, and there's a lot of Leaf fans that are gonna really kill me for this, but if he doesn't have an extension, like if you don't have that extension locked in before July 1st, meaning that you have a handshake agreement because you can't sign it until contracts in the drawer. Yeah, contract is in the drawer. Jul- june 30th july 1st he signs it off we go if not i think you have to have a serious discussion and and actually that contract has to be done like june 27th well let me ask
0: you this question because brendan shanahan has already made it known that he's told the core four That's that insane. they are staying so i'm wondering would you not have done your due diligence already if you're brendan shanahan when you're relieving dubis and you've made those phone calls and would you have not have talked to these guys to say, hey, are you interested in saying what's your vibe here? Just so when you're filling in the new GM who's coming in, whether it be Tree Living, whether it be Shiro or any of these guys that keep getting named, you could give them a little bit of vetted information that, hey, we know this is where Austin stands. This is where Mitch stands. Here's Willie's demands. You've already had these preliminary discussions to give yourself a better feeling. And that's why I'm thinking maybe the Leafs haven't rushed getting a GM in that chair immediately and are actually doing the vetting process because Shanahan already know the answers to some of those where he doesn't have to rush that.
1: I can't say that I know that for certain. And I, honestly, at this point, based on the things that we've heard about the power structure and everything, nothing surprises me anymore. True. So like there, there could be a conversation where they're, they were, that we're having here where they have not spoken. True. We, I have no, I have no idea because those guys were comfortable with Kyle Dubas as the GM. We have no idea what, how they think about whoever the new GM is. My thing is, is that these, these moves that have to be made and all the preparation that has to be done. They're not moves that get done in five minutes. No, because there's, there's also the rest of your roster construction. I, I think they have seven UFA forwards and they have, or maybe seven, seven UFA forwards And they have uh, three UFA defensemen. Now, the defense is whatever. I still think there's some moves to be made there. But, like, your forward group is going to vastly change. But your forward group could vastly change based on how much cap space that you have to spend if you don't have Austin Matthews in the fold. Like, there's a lot that goes into this. But to to your point specifically, I don't know how if you're Brandon Shanahan that you could say to the core four, you're not going anywhere because that to me tells me that you have closed all doors. Like if somebody comes and offers you this package for Mitch Marner or William Nylander, that is undeniable. How do you turn that down? But now you've already said, well, we're not trading you. Like I, again, that is a report. I'm not certain if that's true. I feel like it is true, which scares the hell out of me.
0: It's true. Yeah. Um,
1: and so that, and why is Brendan Shanahan doing that? He's not the general manager. Like, this is but that's, this that's is the, the other problem. question
0: I'm wondering here, too. Because if Shannon's doing those things, we talk about the power struggle apparently between Dubas and Shanahan that has gone on. So, really, how many strings was Shanahan pulling all along? And really, are the guys comfortable more with Shanahan or Dubas? Because okay. maybe it was Shanahan with the final call all
1: along, anyways. So- but they were, I'll tell you this, they weren't dealing with Brendan Shanahan. Yeah. On a daily basis or like, I know that for fact, Okay. they were not dealing with Brendan Shanahan on a daily basis. They would have been de- dealing with Kyle. And so they're comfortable with Kyle. And it's not to say that they wouldn't be comfortable with the next guy that comes in. But again, like we're cutting it real close here, yeah. guys. Like yeah. we're, we're almost into June here. Like June starts this coming week. Yeah. And then we are not very far away from the draft, and we are certainly not far away from free agency. Like there is a lot that needs to be done in a short period of time, which is why I am I'm stunned that they have not named a GM. But I will say I would be even more stunned if there's not one named before Wednesday. Because and that's not that's not with me having any inside knowledge. That is just me looking at this and saying the timing just you can't wait any longer. Because here's the other thing there are gonna be guys that you know. May just like it, there's guys that come out of the woodwork. I think that the Doug Armstrong. I think there is truth to him wanting that job. Whether he can get out of St. Louis, Doug Armstrong's an Ontario guy. He knows what winning the Stanley Cup would mean. Doug Armstrong would meet like I think Doug Armstrong's going to the Hall of Fame anyway. But he could basically put his plaque up on the wall himself if he wins the Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, so already won yeah. one in St. Louis. He's the guy they tasked to to run Olympic teams. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. So I, I look at that and say, I can see why he would want to do that. My only question is why would he want to work under Brendan Shanahan, who has accomplished less as a manager than Doug Armstrong has? That's, that's my question.
0: Kind of makes me a little bit worried in a sense, because it is who they're going to bring in. Just like what happened in Philly, where it's essentially a lame duck GM who's reporting to, you know, boards and not getting the final say, because I think that's what Kyle wanted really was to be able to streamline the process to get things done, Mm -hmm. and ultimately that was kind of vetoed. And I think his fallback was, well, then pay me more money to deal with the situation of having to go through seven people to get one move done. Obviously, that wasn't done either. So I'm wondering, do they bring someone in that will kind of toe the line?
1: I I think whoever the GM that is coming in probably understands that they're on the same timeline as Brendan Shanahan is. Okay, yeah. This will be Brendan Shanahan's third GM hire. And I'm assuming that the coach is going to be gone, so it'll be his third coach hire as well. At some point, they're going to have a discussion about what his future is. And that's not me throwing shade. That's just what people do in business. That's just it, yeah. It's a results-oriented business. And guys are getting contracts without proving anything. That's at the GM level. That's at the player level. Like, all of that. But at some point... You have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, okay, what are we doing wrong here, and and do we need to make changes? Uh, I believe that Kyle wanted more say in the day-to-day dealings, and that Brendan Shanahan did have veto power. I That's what I gather, and I... I do wonder about the next GM that comes in because I'm sorry, but I don't. I would not want to see Mark Bergevin or Peter Shirelli as the GM. Like I, I don't see it. Like Jason Bottle is an interesting name, but I think that Brad Truliving and Doug Armstrong are at the top of their list, and I don't think that it's close.
0: Any any thought for you on Ray Shiro?
1: It's another name that's bounced out. Shiro is interesting because he has he has a winning pedigree. Pedigree. He's got the resume right. Yeah my only thing is is that i don't you have to bring in somebody in theory that has worked under an ownership kind of like mlse is like you're managing you're managing upwards to a uh, uh, to corporations Branch of living did that like that ownership not as big mlse yeah. obviously a lot bigger than than the calgary sports group but that's the type of thing that you're doing. Like you are managing upwards. So it's a totally different world, which I think that is also important. You need to have someone and not that Ray Shiro is not savvy with the media, but like Brad true living is really good with the media. Doug Armstrong. I can tell you that Doug Armstrong is good with the media because he actually texts me back. (laughs) Like (laughs) there are other GMs that I get in trouble from PR departments for sending them text messages. That never happens with Doug Armstrong. So I like Doug Armstrong. He would be a wonderful yeah. fit here. But that's where I think those two guys kind of separate themselves, is that especially in a in a media market like Toronto, even though I don't think it's nearly as tough as people make it out to be, like Montreal is harder. I don't care what anybody says. Like yeah. they have arguments about the fourth line in Montreal. And like somebody <laughs> said, I think it was Brian Burke. Like if you're in Montreal and you're in management, like you're stupid in two languages. Two so, languages, yep. So, I like that's way harder than Toronto. I, a lot of people, a lot of people that covered Toronto are fans of the team. Yeah. And I don't mean that like that's just, that's what they grew up with, right? No. Montreal, they're just super critical. Like they are, they're ruthless out there. We are, we're so easy on the Leafs in comparison.
2: I had, I had some guy, so I, I'm into hockey cards and I had some guy at a card show tell me that um, he, Austin Matthews, is going to leave the Leafs. And I said, so you're telling me that he wants to leave the hockey mecca of the world? And he goes, oh, you're talking about Montreal? I'm like, okay, guy. (laughs) Montreal wants to believe that they're the
1: center of the hockey universe, but they're not. It is Toronto. It's just that they are just tougher in Montreal. Doesn't mean you're the center of the hockey universe. But the the Austin Matthews thing, guys, is... It is. I, 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 I said this. This is the biggest off season in this franchise's history. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. yeah, percent. And right. I think when you look at the the talent that they have, and the fact that you know they've lost in the playoffs to four teams, the last four teams they've lost to have all gone to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, yeah. that um, is uh, my. I had this discussion on my show, and I it, I really struggle with it, but it means that you were close. Like even oh, the yeah. Florida series, we could say what we want. Their stars didn't show up, and they lost four games by one or three games by one goal, and another by two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's They're the up. series they got. And Bobrovsky has been on literally a different planet, like goaltending yeah. that we've never seen before in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, at the end of the day, you still weren't good enough. But to say that you know this thing needs to be blown up and whatever, it doesn't. But if you're moving two of your best players, then absolutely things need to get blown up here.
2: I think I think a lot of the pressure comes from the amount of talent that we have. Like I don't think Toronto has ever been a, in a situation that we had this many stars on their roster, and that I think because of the contract negotiations at this point, I think that is what is so scary in it this coming off season.
1: It, it is true, and you talk about I mean. Look, I don't call them the core four anymore. Let's just call them the top three because John Tavares, God love him, is not—he's not in the same stratosphere as those guys. 100%. Still a point per game player though, hundred percent. And it's not—and it's not—it's just John slowing down. Yeah, yep. speed has never been his thing, and he's really slowing down. And he's going to be an eleven million dollar winger real soon. Like that's—that's that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. So, but when you look at the talent levels of Nylander and Marner and and Matthews, you're talking about. You know, three of the 15 most talented forwards in the world. Yeah. And I put William Nylander in that category. The only thing is, is that Nylander, you just don't get it all the time.
0: No, that's why William, Alexei Kovalev
1: type. That's why William Nylander is going to score 85 points and not 105 points. That's the difference. But the skill and when he's on, he was their best forward from puck drop in the playoffs to the last game. Yeah, consistently their best forward because yeah. he still played in the Florida series. Unlike the other guys who didn't yeah. produce, but like when, when William Neland, when they needed a goal, like I was in the building um, for game five. So blame me. I was in the building for game, five. game <laughs> five, but when they needed that goal to tie it, William Nylander was playing like a man on fire. And he did that in previous games as well where he was the best player on the ice and it wasn't remotely close. That was Matthew Kachuk on the other side, Barkov, Bennett, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, like go through the list. He was the best player on the ice and it wasn't close. Like guys could not touch him. He just couldn't finish because Bobrovsky was so great. Yeah, That's the type of player that you have in your lineup. But the thought of them moving off of those players is frightening because whenever you trade guys like that, guess what you're looking for? You're
2: not getting anything back. No. The, the I,
1: Think about the trades that you've had where it's kind of not one for one, but let, let's let say that let's say the first round pick and Kohlschmidt are not big parts of this deal with Florida and Calgary. It is essentially for now, Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger for Matthew Kachuk. On paper, I looked at that deal and went, that's a steal for Calgary. I thought they made out like bandits. Yeah. He was coming off of a career year. Mackenzie Weger was the second best defenseman on that team. And he was in like, he was on some Norris ballots. That's how good he was last year.
0: Yeah. So he was coveted too, by a lot of teams,
1: but how many, how many deals have we seen in the history where that happens? Like I can go back to Danny Heatley for Marion Hossa and Greg DeVries. Like that was the only other deal that you looked at and went, that's like talent for talent deal. The thing is with the Leafs is they're in a position where if they're moving only Marner, they have to get pieces that help them right now. They can't deal yeah. it for futures. They it's That's not a question. And people always say to me, well, who are you going to trade for Mitch Marner? Who's available? Did we know Jonathan Huberdo was available after 115 points no. last year? Yeah, or no. Mackenzie Weger? No, because nobody thought that Matthew Kachuk was available. But when guys like that come on the market... Everybody looks at it and goes, hold on a second. Like, do you not think the Carolina Hurricanes, after not being able to score any goals against the Florida Panthers, are not looking and go, we need to acquire a star? Yeah. And in that same breath, could you not look at it and go, okay, I think we can move some pieces here. Would you not like a guy like Jacob Slavin on your back end in Toronto? Maybe, possibly. I don't know. Carolina's got a really good defense. So that's why I I think that, you that's why going back to the whole Brendan Shanahan thing, you cannot say that these guys are not going anywhere because you have closed so many doors by doing yeah. that.
0: Yeah, the only question that, I guess where he's done that too, but like you said earlier, you move off of Mitch Marner, you're pretty much moving off of Austin Matthews. Where those were going to him,
1: I don't know how much say Austin Matthews has in all of this. I'm assuming that there is at least some. And that's the one thing that nobody has brought up. And I brought it up on multiple occasions. Do we know how Austin Matthews feels about playing with Mitch Marner? Because I think he likes playing with Mitch Marner. But is it enough that he says, if you trade him, I don't want to be here either. That I'm not sure of. And we won't know. We may not know that. Like, we'll know it if they trade Mitch Marner. And the next day, Austin Matthews is out the door, too. Yeah, And we'll know. That'll be pretty obvious at that point we don't know that. Like I'm assuming that Austin Matthews understands that this is a business. And I actually do think that Mitch Marner would thrive outside of this city. I think he would be just fine somewhere else because you know, like Jeff always says on our show, everybody else for the most part, or at least the stars, they don't live here in the off season. They don't hear all the stuff. They don't, you know, see the, 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 headlines on websites or whatever. I mean, a lot of these guys don't look at it, but uh, a lot of them have burner accounts. I will tell you that that is, <laughs> that is fa- I've been told that, that a lot of these guys have burner accounts, but, <laughs> but I do wonder about a change of scenery for him. And, and maybe you get even regular season, even in the playoffs, the first round, he was great. There's no question about that. It's just when the game got a little bit different, those guys couldn't handle it and they didn't play well. And maybe he needs a change. I don't know. But that's the guy you're going to get the most value for with outside of Austin Matthews, of course, because Mitch Marner's got two years left on his
2: deal. What do you think of William Nylander though? He's coming, his contracts coming up at the end of the year and you know, he's going to want a big bag of money after holding out from his last contract. What do you think is going to happen there? Is he, is he pretty much gone at the end of the season or do you think we resign him?
1: I think it all depends on what happens with Mitch Marner.
2: Mm. Because you think he Will- would walk too or no?
1: I think William Nylander would stay if you gave him nine million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and that's what he's gonna get. Like he, Philip Forsberg got eight times eight or whatever it was, something like that.
2: Yeah. So William yeah.
1: Nylander is mm-hmm. gonna get eight times eight point five, eight times nine. Like that's that's my guess is what yeah. William Nylander is gonna get if he stays in Toronto. And on the open market, he's gonna get seven times eight and a half. That's that's what. You say you're still saving a million and a half for moving Mitch Marner if you, if that's the contract that William Nylander signs. William Nylander's shown that he can play in the playoffs, like even yeah. even against Montreal when other guys weren't going. William Nylander yep. was going. Like when you look at his playoff yeah. point totals, they're good. And I am, and as Anthony Stewart calls them, I am a Neanderthal. I am absolutely <laughs> a Neanderthal. I believe in this player because when he's on, the talent is there will he stay after i think that he would sign an extension here i think he would be open to signing an extension here i've i've always the question is will will he be here to sign that extension i don't know
2: i've always thought of him as like a pros pro and i th- i think he t- t- takes a lot of pride in learning from what his dad went through and i th- i think he's great for this market he handles a lot of the fans properly but yeah you're totally right i th- i think he would get he would get 9 million and if mitch marner does leave uh, in that situation, I would want Nealander here 100% of the time. I just wish you could pull his 100% effort out of him all the time. That That is the, the if kicker.
1: You, if, you could, if you could get, honestly, I think the way that he is right now, if you can get the same regular season performances that you get, like the guy can score 40 goals for you in his sleep. Yeah. So if you get 40 goals from him and then in the playoffs, he can just give it a little bit more often. Yeah. That's to me, that's the player that you keep on your roster. I have no issue with that. But, but again, if Mitch Marner's here at at the start of this season, then William Nylander is gone before the season starts or he's gone at the end of the season. I I can't see them. I can't see them holding on. I just, I don't see where the money works. I don't care how much the cap is going up. I don't see how they can make the money work.
0: So in saying that a guy like John Tavares, and we've always said lost a step maybe going to the wing. Is that a guy you try if you're in the new GM to convince, Hey, maybe uh, you're better suited somewhere else to put it bluntly to put it business wise. Maybe you try
1: to get that money out the door. He's got two years left on his deal. And I don't think he's certainly not going anywhere this coming season. I think you could try all you want at the end of the day, he holds the cards and I don't think he's going anywhere. But like somebody said to me, you can make his life really difficult Next year, play him on the... John, you're going to play on the third line and you're going to play on the wing and we can't guarantee you first power play time and all that stuff. That that can weigh on a player. Now, would there be a willing team to take on even half of his money? I, I That I, I don't know. I do think that you can maximize John Tavares' contract value by finding a center
2: yeah, to yep. play with
1: him. And the name that I brought up And it would be super interesting to see. I thought of if you could move Mitch Marner to a team like Winnipeg and get Pierre-Luc Dubois plus, I think then you have a conversation. I think there is absolutely a conversation there because I think that's the guy. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, as we know, is a big physical guy. And he's the the type of player that you want. And I think if you play him, yeah, he's a prick. I, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love right. And so, I think I think you just need to have a center that has a little bit of juice in their legs to play with John Tavares. Because the one thing that we know about John Tavares is he is excellent on the wall. John yep. Tavares' playing board play is fantastic. So don't let him roam. Let him go up and down one side, and let him play out of the corners and let him do his thing and, and maybe John Tavares ends up on your second power play unit because I thought that was and, and as an aside I thought that was a big mistake by Sheldon Keefe like when you needed goals and your first power play unit was kind of struggling against a penalty kill that really was not great all season and they just kind of figured it out although the lease had tons of chances I don't know how John Tavares didn't come off that first unit and you moved William Nylander there
0: Mm-hmm. Especially that, with the way
1: Willie was playing too. Yeah, that would have been yeah. And that and that's why and that's where you can kind of maneuver John Tavares out of being in this quote unquote core four because he's just he's not he's not in the same like the core four existed
2: when three years
1: ago when he signed there, yeah. and the play has slowly diminished. I'm not saying that he's not still not a good player, he's just not an eleven million dollar player anymore. Yeah, no, he's right. Not. And I and I will say this, and I've said it before, and I will go to my grave with this. For all the people that want to criticize Kyle Dubas for that contract, two other teams offered more money than the Leafs. Yes, did. I, I guess knew that. Did. The San Jose Sharks offered more, and the New York Islanders offered more. So I don't want to hear it because this everybody really loved strong. the signing when it happened. They were running Kadri, Matthews, and Tavares up the middle, and everybody said that team is going to win the Stanley Cup. Well, they didn't win squat, but it doesn't matter. And the and the way that and I can't remember who phrased it. I think it was Friedman actually that said it. When they signed that contract, when you looked at the team that they had built, they thought they were going to win at least one within the five years, the first five years of that deal, which is where we stand now. And I think we all agree that they could have won at least one in that Um, timeframe. They just didn't. So the contract is the contract. You knew that it wasn't going to age well, but you had to pay the guy to get him here because in the first five years, you thought you were going to get maximum value. Unfortunate thing is they didn't win.
0: They didn't win. All right, well, let's touch on, before we let you go here, some of the guys that are with the Leafs roster right now that are pending UFAs, who would you bring back and why? For me, it starts with Shen and Achari, um, and then you go after whoever else from there. Because I do not think that Ryan O'Reilly comes back. But for you, who would you bring back? That's a pending UFA that you think would stay.
1: So I would love for them to bring back Achari, but I think his play in the playoffs priced himself out of Toronto. I thought he was I thought he was really good. He was so physical. Like he led the the playoffs in hits up until the time the Leafs got eliminated. He was he was a physical force and that was something that they needed. I would love to see them bring him back. Luke Shen, I would like to see them bring him back as well, but that's with the caveat that you still need to do other work to your defense. Like they need oh, yeah. to figure this out cuz their defense was was not good enough against Florida. They just yeah. couldn't handle them. So, so I'm fine with that. And Luke Shen, if he comes in at you know a one year deal at one million bucks or eight fifty or whatever he's been signing for, I'm good with that. It's probably going to be a million bucks, but it might be a little bit less. I'm fine with that. Um, the Ryan O'Reilly thing is interesting because I thought that Ryan O'Reilly played really well but we also saw that the foot speed was an issue for Ryan O'Reilly when the speed picked up and in the Tampa series, it was fine because that series was slow. And I told somebody, I said, watch the other series and see how slow this Tampa Bay Toronto series is. Like if Toronto runs into a fast team, like they're going to have some trouble and sure enough, they did. So I say Ryan O'Reilly would be great if you could get him at a number that is convenient and that number for me is no more than four million dollars and guess what ryan o'rye is not silent signing for four million dollars he's probably getting he's probably getting a four year deal at five and change yeah maybe he gets that. maybe he gets a five year deal but that's and it'll probably be bonus heavy so that at the end of the contract, it's easier to trade because there's less, you know, real money. And if the cap hit is just, you know, for a team like Arizona or whoever needs to get to the cap floor, that's how I think some teams would structure that deal. Other than that, like, I don't want to see Alex Kerfit back. I'm done with that. Thank you. Um, Thank I don't you. want, I don't want to see Justin <laughs> Hall back. Thank what you. about camp? I would love to see David Camp back. And I think that I think that he would fit in their price range. I think he's I think he has a good role on the team. And I I, I mean I can't speak for the player, but he's been a really good fit. Am I um, wrong
0: in saying that uh camp is this generation's Yannick Perot? Great with, on the face-off
1: doc, good on the penalty kill, a little with, less points. Yeah, less offense, but very similar in, in how they play and their value to the team, sure. Um, Zach Aston Reese will be gone, Wayne Simmons will be gone, and then you're gonna have to you know Michael Bunting is the is the interesting one uh, because I wonder I wonder if somebody ends up giving him four million dollars. That's a lot of coin and it's something that the Leafs cannot handle. I do wonder about Michael Bunting's return because I think that he does have a role here. Like I I, I think there is a fit but it's how do you fit it uh, like if you could get Michael Bunting to sign like a Nick Paul type deal The difference is is that Nick Paul signs that long-term deal, gets paid basically nothing, but he's in a no-tax state. So that's that's the advantage that Florida and Tampa Bay and other teams have, that the Leafs don't. So I I also, it was funny because when the suspension happened, I was like, oh man, Michael Bunting cost himself so much money. But then it ended up being, you know, not that you ever want to wish ill on a player, but the fact that Eric Chernak was out for the whole series ended up being a really, really big deal for the Leafs. So... I don't think he made himself any money, but I don't think he cost himself as much as I, I thought he originally was going to. So he's going to be a really interesting case as well.
0: What would be? So you say just over three million
1: dollars would make you comfortable with Bunting? I th- I think so because he's gonna he can score you twenty goals and goals cost money in this league. They do, yeah. And and he can play up and down the lineup. Like if you could get him at three three million, I think you're I think you're in pretty good shape. Like, would you would you rather pay Michael Bunting three million or Alex Kerfoot three million dollars?
0: Oh, well, I mean that's Lafferty a no no of of brainer. <laughs> I take Kerfoot every day of the week.
1: <laughs> I I could tell you I wouldn't.
0: No, oh, I'm God. Just kidding obviously. No,
1: I I so that's where I think that the priority lies. They they would like they they've got Lafferty on a cheap deal, Jake McCabe's on a cheap deal, Mark Giordano's on a cheap deal. Like they have, they're gonna have some some room to work here, but. It's also not a great free agent class. That's the other thing. So there's going to have to be some moving parts here. And I do wonder how many of these free agents are going to get a lot less money than they thought they were going to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, There might be some guys waiting for a chair and the dance ends and they don't got nowhere to sit. So yeah, I might get a guy in the door a little bit cheaper. Another guy too, uh, before we let you, is Mr. Samsonov is do a deal. What would you be comfortable with him? Obviously, he carried the mail for the Maple Leafs until Luke Shen kind of rammed his neck. Um, would you be comfortable in a two- or three-year deal with Samsonov, maybe around $3.5 million to see what he's got, or even a two-year kind of bridge deal, and then if he does well, pay him, with Woller being the back of Because we've all, I think, resigned to the fact that Matt Murray is gone, and they're going to attach some sort of asset and send that money out of town.
1: So... The Matt Murray thing—I wonder. Uh, somebody pointed. Luke Fox pointed it out to me when I had him on about a buyout for Matt Murray because the cap hit this year is not big. It's next. It would be the following season that it would be a little bit bigger because he only has the one year left on his deal. But the cap is supposed to open up. Let's say five million dollars, and you're going to have more cap space to deal with, so that you can probably eat and be comfortable with it, and then you reassess where you're at. I would rather them do that than attach another asset to move out a goalie contract like they had to do with Marazic, right? True. true. Um, and so, but with Samsonov, I thought Samsonov was really good. I don't think he was the reason why they lost. That, no. That's for certain. And I mean, he was hurt, so he didn't play the last two games, but Joseph Wall has proven that he's an NHL goaltender. So he's going he's gonna to get 40 starts next year. I think that's, I think that he's getting at least 35 starts next year. Yeah.
2: I would would be confident in that. And he
1: requires waivers to go down now. So he's, he's not a guy that you can, obviously you're not taking that chance. He's been too good to take that chance to have him go through waivers. But with Samsonov, I think I thought about a one year deal at like, give him a bump. He was at 1.8 this year. I don't know if he would be willing to sign another one year deal. I thought two, five, was probably if you could get if listen if you could keep your goalies because joseph wall's making like 786 or something if you yeah. could keep your goalies under four million i think you're in good shape oh yeah i think that gives you a lot of room to maneuver and i think that samsonov would be interested in a deal that pays it even if it's a two-year deal at three million per i think that's something that he would be interested in it sounds like he really loved playing in toronto yeah. and from everything that i've heard like he, he's they're really friendly guys. He's always willing to talk. And I think that bodes well in this market and his play certainly didn't hurt anything. Either I thought he was, re- I thought he was really good. I thought that his play was a lot better than, than I think I had envisioned only because we saw what he was in Washington the previous year. Their defense yep. was horrible. So it was really hard to judge, but super talented and, I think that there's still room for improvement and to bring to help bring up a guy like Joseph Wall to have him, you know, be with Samsonov where he can have that one A one B, like an actual one, not like they've had in the last two years with Campbell and Morazic and Murray and Samsonov, like an actual one A one B. I yeah. think their goaltending situation will be fine. I, I think Samsonov's back for, for at least another year and probably two more.
0: All right. Well, I'm looking forward to the way this offseason unfolds. I'm looking forward to everything that's gonna happen. Obviously. It's been so pedestrian for Leaf fans for the past few years. You know who your core players were. You know the GM was, the coach was. There wasn't much turbulent waters. They come out at the end of the year presser. We're running it back this year. All of that's out the window. It's all different. It makes great fodder for podcasts, for radio, for everyone to talk about. So, Matt, I hope when we get some things in place, we can have you back on and see where maybe we went wrong. Maybe we were just really not thinking of a name or something that came along for this team. But as Leaf fans, we're hoping they make the right mix this summer and get the job done next spring where we could talk about a long run and enjoy it and watch Steve Dangle freak out
1: on- <laughs> Yeah, don't here's what I'll tell you. Don't count your chickens. You've been a Leaf fan long enough. Uh, <laughs> don't bet on anything. Don't bet I on like chicken. Now. I do too. I just don't like the way the Leafs lay those eggs.
2: Neither do I. (laughs)
0: There it is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Offside Hockey Talk right here where the Maple Leafs at hockey come to talk.